Hello and welcome to the James Bond Complex, the show where we discuss and enjoy everything James Bond, from Fleming to film and everything in between. Ooh. <laughs> Fortunately, Edgar was supposed to be on this episode and a little bit of a technical glitch, but I do have a guest. Melanie from Burb, James Burb, is here with us. Hello, thank you so much for having me back. Oh, absolutely, and I'm excited because we're we're doing a we're doing a Fleming second edition, and we're doing my favorite Fleming novel, Goldfinger. So, wh yeah. what's your experience with with Goldfinger? You know, um, I love the Flemings. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I feel they're really fun reads. He was a great author. I think he was very underappreciated. Um, he put a lot of symbolism into his books. They're really just fun romps. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say his first five books are my favorite. I feel that they're very, very solid, very well thought out, fleshed out. Once he starts getting into Dr. No, you know, after James Bond is sort of brought back to life after For right. Russia With Love, I feel like um, you start getting a lot of repetition. We're seeing the same themes come up again and again. There's, you know, he'll throw in some new concepts here and there. Um, that being said, I still really love Goldfinger. It's a mm. great book. Um, I feel like this book is somewhat difficult to talk about without also mentioning the movie because the movie did, I think, of, in some cases, a better job um of telling the story um yeah but... it's it's funny about about that you say that because I, I kind of feel the same way the the plot of the movie works a lot better than the plot of the book and the plot of the movie is actually probably more accurate <laughs> better for the history of the book than um the, 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 the history behind the book i should say than the actual book was because the whole idea of robbing fort knox was preposterous absolutely preposterous he they wouldn't have been able to pull it off the way Fleming wrote it but the way they did it in the movie was aha absolutely that makes total sense and the you know uh one of in my opinions biggest flaws of this book is him bringing in James Bond as a secretary <laughs> yeah you know, that's <laughs> having him write and uh, you and I can, because I, I have a feeling I, I know why Fleming did that. You know, mm. he's writing a lot of himself and his own experiences into this book, you know, right. Fleming sort of playing Bond. Um, and then you and I did a podcast a while back on uh, Ian Fleming and the Seven Deadly Sins. And yeah, how absolutely. he really wrote that into a lot of his books. And you really see it. In Goldfinger, um, in some ways, it's really beating you over the head with symbolism, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And this, that whole aspect of being the secretary, really plays into the master and slave uh, themes that he you see back in Casino Royale. Uh, very, right. very early on, he starts working with this theme and. Uh, even M, the initial, could it be seen as master? And uh, Fleming will reference uh, how Bond, you know, serves his master. And um, and we and in the in our seven deadly sin chat, we even discussed the theory behind 
uh, the James Bond theme, not just being taken from the ornithologist, but James 1 1 uh, in the Bible. Right. James, a bond servant of God. So you have this master servant play that goes back and forth, and you see a lot of that in this book, uh, mm -hmm. both with Odd Job and Goldfinger, and then later with Bond and Goldfinger, uh, how, how the tables turn. And so, uh, yeah, so I feel it's, it's got a lot of great parts. Um, but again, I feel as though Fleming is sort of getting tired. And he's just, it's the rehashing of sort of these same themes that we get. Uh, and you see it even more yeah. so in the later novels. Uh, you Only Live Twice, how he replays the entire death of Goldfinger, almost verbatim, but with mm. <laughs> So There's a lot more repetition in the later ones. I'll, I'll agree that the first five are, are just the best work that he's done. Because I think in his mind, he had played it out that from Russia with love was going to be the end of bond. I mean, that was his, his point. And then the, the, it kind of got this renewed enthusiasm. Thanks to well, JFK was, was a, was a part of it too at the, at the, uh, at one point, but it was kind of this renewed enthusiasm about his books and he was able to, to come back. And I mean, I think after from Russia with love, some of the better things that he wrote were actually the short stories um some of the other stuff i spy love me was 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 one of those books where he, he curiously took a different turn a different way of writing things and and he created this whole different um style for that one book and that was probably poorly received just because it wasn't a bond story but when you actually when you read it it actually reads as a good book it's it's not a horrible book it's not his best work but it's still it's still fleming uh and i think he kind of keeps that theme of of how he writes in every single book regardless of the fact that it's it's repetition i mean he's got um and, and and edgar had mentioned it in some of his notes as well about the, about the book you know in 2023 how does these tropes that he he uses throughout his books and throughout his career but particularly in goldfinger about um women and lesbianism uh. and um and koreans uh, and etc i mean it's 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 not flattering to the Korean people the whole odd job story. I mean, he Goldfinger feeds him a cat or well, gives him know, a cat to do what he pleases with, and we are led to believe that he is going to eat that cat because it's oh. part of their tradition. And you try that today, and that does not fly. Like that's even that goes well. He would be canceled seventy times over with that book well, for sure. And the the rampant racism aside. <laughs> Um, again, that's going back to his theme of people who are cruel to animals are evil mm. people. So even if you like, just because I agree with you, it's awful. Um, yeah. I have to believe would Fleming's time probably would have been a little pre-Korean War or around the same time as it would, would be just in the middle of it because of this would have Korean been written. War. So he had he obviously had some very strong prejudices there. Um, but like I said, if you kind of just set that part aside, the eating of the cat yeah. is symbolic of you see this very early on, um, you know, Live and Let Die, his second book with the shooting of the pelican and you'll yeah. see this again and again 
people who are cruel to animals are evil people. So, um, so that's, you see it again in this book and, um, you know, but it's you, a repeat of the Koreans because I mean he used them in in Moonraker and now he's using them again in Goldfinger and it's in the same kind of um, and you mentioned it before too the master slave kind of relationship uh -huh. uh, the the Koreans were working for Goldfinger they were working for for Drax uh, and they had no personality they had they he didn't develop the characters very well Odd Job he maybe went the little extra step and decided okay well let's give Odd Job kind of and have personality and let's let's round them out well whereas in the past and anything he's ever done he has just said they're korean and or, doctor, that, or with dr no you know oh sorry i was mixing dr no and uh, yeah exactly i mean it's it's kind of that the general stereotype that's what they were mm -hmm. but I, I i if i'm if i'm remembering well from from thrilling cities i, I don't think that fleming really had that greatest um outlook or the acceptance of asian culture i mean i don't think he was really not much of a fan. He he complained in Thrilling Cities about his his trips to the Orient as being long and boring. And he makes like we we say that the the blatant racism in in Fleming. I think Fleming hated everyone, and he just didn't hold back at any of his comments about anyone. He just he's I think he was he hated everyone equally. Which is still sad. I mean, he's, it's not right, but like he goes into the extremes and the stereotypes and, and he picks at everything in such a well-written but persistent way that is negative mm -hmm. uh, for everyone and particularly Asians and, and unfortunately, you know, African-Americans and et cetera. Well, and you see it as well uh, as far as his regard toward Americans. Yeah, uh, you know, of of course, Felix is he sees as his friend, but the British are better than the Americans, you know, right. and uh, and likewise with the people of Jamaica, the the mm -hmm. native there, and you see that with um, with Quarrel. Oh, he likes mm. Quarrel, but who is still superior, you know? So oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he makes he makes Quarrel call him captain, and you know, all kinds of like belittling things like that. You definitely see that. I'll tell you where I feel you see less of that. And I don't know if it's just in his older age. He sort of softened a little bit. But uh, in You Only Live Twice, I feel as though you see a little, a little bit more admiration for, you know, obviously going to Japan and talking about cultures and things like that. Mm -hmm. A little, I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of prejudices there. Um, you know, that whole brothel scene, and you only live twice, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a bit painful to read. You still see it, but a little bit softer. Um, that could just be with him, as I said, coming of old age. The other thing, too, you know, when we were talking about uh, how solid his books are, at this stage, he is very clearly writing for the screen. Um, you see that as early yeah. as Dr. No, you know, the yeah. gigantic battle with the squid and you just get into the more fantastical and over the top scenes. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why this book translated so well onto the screen is because Fleming is now starting to think about that and really working that into his writing. And what's crazy about that is is comparing the movie and the and the book is is the backstory that was used to 
uh, create Goldfinger himself. Because we all know the story, and they, they made it quite clear. And I think in the Penguin edition, they've got the, the foreword where they mentioned the potential lawsuit against the architect, or the architect had against Fleming for the use of his name. Uh, Ernie Goldfinger, he didn't like the fact that he made him into a bad guy and things like that. But him, Goldfinger himself is based on Charles Englehard, the, the miner, the, the gold miner, who had substantial, substantial, substantial illegal kind of mining activities going on in South Africa, where he was going around these bullion laws. And this was absolutely what Fleming based him on. But in the book, they don't really touch upon the fact that he was also a horse race, uh, a, a racehorse breeder and owner. Uh, and he had a few of these, these prize winning horses that made it into the movie, but strangely not into the book. So I'm not sure if it was a question of timing or I don't know why they decided to include more of Goldfinger's backstory into the movie mm. and not into the book, which I always found kind of weird. So I don't know if there's a, if there's a, an addition or if there's a, there's a, some notes from Fleming that they use for the movie that got in there because the movie is more representative of who Goldfinger, the person that he's based on actually is. Um, and little, I'm going to repeat this side story again. Ian Fleming visited Charles Englehard in the Gaspé Peninsula of Quebec in 1956 or 1957. I'm still trying to get a close in on those dates, but family members who would have been close to that have since died. But and when I say family members, it was my grandmother's cousin worked for Charles Englehard at the fishing camp. So Fleming would have flown in by helicopter to my great grandfather's field debarked from wow. there and then was driven up by my my i guess second or third or fourth cousin up to charles Englehard, where he spent a couple of days and then got the whole outline but in the book uh, goldfinger's physical appearance is similar to Englehard. some of his other attributes and some of his other ticks are taken from charles Englehard's real life the whole uh shipping things from one country to another for them to be melted down to be sold there is an Englehard story. I mean, in the books, it's the in the books, it's it's the airplanes with the seats. In real life, it was statuettes. He was smelting down the statuettes and selling them to China, and China was melting them down. So it's the all these little quirks that were that were kind of pulled out of reality. Even the actual plan to steal the gold, the the movie plot is closer to the actual World War II plot. Where the idea was to there was a cache of vichy french gold in martinique in the caribbean that they were going to steal but they found it easier to have control over that gold rather than physically remove it so it's more of the closer to the idea of the movie it's like if we can physically control that gold not because we have possession of it but we have control over its use by you know causing the nuclear explosion that would you know cause the radioactivity for it to not to be usable they would have control of the gold. It's the same as the real life events, completely different from the novel, which was this crazy idea of let's get a train and take the gold off. And again, Fleming with trains. Oh, yes. It's a singular path, a very, you know, singular straight path, again, with the symbolism. But the plot was, the plot was very solid. And as you mm. said, um, if there were some type of writings, if they, you, you have, we have no idea what was submitted to an editor and what mm -hmm. was cut. You know, uh, it is interesting that the golf 
the scene is so long, like that some of that right. wasn't cut, you know, but um, which I, I will have to chat about later because I think that's one of the most, um, I, I heard some people say it drags, I quite like it, but we have no idea what was submitted and, and chosen, you know, not to be included. Right. But I, you know, it's one of those things that truth is stranger than fiction. And I think the plot of this, the character of Goldfinger, it really draws you in. And um, it is a very believable plot. As mm -hmm. you said, when you start getting toward this train thing, they sort of start to devolve. <laughs> it gets a little crazy and kludgy, but um, but it I just mean, doesn't make hard. sense. <laughs> yeah, as far as but as far as the actual like evil villain and the plot and mm -hmm. um, you know all of the plans that are being made, like I said, I think it's really solid. It's fun. It it draws you in. If you're like, oh wow, that's you know such a great plan. You could see him potentially getting away with this. How it would all work. Um, and and, and right. you know it's one of those scenes as well. If you haven't seen the movie. And if you are reading the book for the first time, the whole, you know, killing 60,000 people, uh, having all these casualties, I mean, this is, you know, it's really kind of scary when you get to that part in the book. But then again, it draws up questions. Okay, so if Goldfinger has this frame of mind, why is he keeping Bond and Tilly alive? <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So frustrating. <laughs> But uh, no, absolutely. It's 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 kind of like the the most most of the plot makes sense up into uh, a certain point. Uh, but again, the movie does a little bit of a, a better uh, job of it. The the beginning or the first section, which is which is called happenstance, because oddly enough, Fleming divides the book up into three parts, and he's never really done this before. But he he divide, divides it up this time into three parts, and the um, the first section called happenstance is really the idea of of luck because he's he's catching goldfinger cheating at canasta how do you find that to be or how do you feel about that being like typically like a fleming kind of theme i mean we've we've seen this in casino royale we've mm. seen this in moonraker uh oh he cheats he cheats at cards mm. therefore he is an evil bad man you you know, again, this is these are Fleming's moral code that he's writing into this book, uh, and this is what I mean when I say you see these same themes reappear. Uh, I really enjoyed the scene in Moonraker when yeah. Bond is trying to, um, you know, sort of trip Drax. Right. I really enjoy this scene in Goldfinger <laughs> when when Bond goes into sort of, you know foil his plot as far as how he's cheating at cards so you know um just because we're seeing it again doesn't mean it's not fun doesn't mean it's not exciting and great it's just one of those things like i said he's really um and you know you mentioned spy who loved me i actually love yeah. that book because it is so different and i think you sort of have to feel sorry for fleming at the point because he is getting tired of writing these books. He is getting sort of frustrated. He wants to do something right. new and stretch his creative muscle a bit. And it's very sad that Spy Who Loved Me wasn't better received. Um, but, you know, that being said, Fleming's staying true to himself. 
He's still writing these same themes that are important to him. He's putting different spins on them. He's keeping them fun. He's keeping them yeah. fresh. Uh, so I quite enjoy that scene. And I, I like how he broke up the book into these three parts to sort of match along with the quote, you know, once is happenstance, twice a coincidence, three times enemy action. Right. Um, I think it was very effective. So even though he is kind of getting tired in this, he's still doing a good job translating his ideas into something newer and fresher um, and keeping it exciting. It's still fun. That being said, going from happenstance to coincidence, um, how do you feel about Bond blatantly telling Goldfinger who he was once he breaks up the Canasta game and then coincidentally showing up for golf? Do you, do you think that that was maybe a little too brash and arrogant on the on on Bond? Does it reflect on his actual character, or is that something off character for Bond to do? Oh, that's a really you know that's a really good question because we see Bond make what I would say mistakes. Mm -hmm. Bond gets very careless. You see that happen in previous books. Um, I'm trying to remember which book it is. If it's Diamonds, where he goes into the airport and he's like sniffing gas to in, in Vegas. Uh, and it throws him off. You know, you see him yeah. making, or him ignoring potential signs. Uh, you see him doing that. He's, and it ends up sort of coming back to bite him. Perhaps that's Fleming yeah. speaking to what he thinks about arrogance. Um, is Bond being confident and sure of himself, or is he, you know? That's a really good question. Is is it just something thrown in to sort of drive the novel along with this concept of, you know, happenstance, coincidence, enemy action? I I would love to hear your take on that because that's a really good question. Well, I think it's I think it's Bond kind of having fun because it wasn't really a he didn't expect it to become a mission. I think at that point where, where he does it, he doesn't know it's going to be a mission. He only finds out it's going to be a mission once he gets back to London and kind of he's in between things and he's just letting off some steam. He's having fun. So I think the the, the transition into it is is okay, and, but it does really work well with the, the idea of coincidence because here I am telling you that I've just caught you cheating at cards and, and I've exposed you as this cheat and this liar and this horrible, horrible person. And for him, it's just passing, passing by. It's like, I just had my fun. I'm going on home. I'm never going to see you again. And then coincidentally, he's public enemy number one. And they've got to go after him. So I find that that was kind of a good way to, um, to kind of weave in that. I really do enjoy that in coincidence, they, they do do the, the um, golf scene and the golf scene is the golf scene is in incredibly long in the book. Um, it doesn't feel as long in the movie, but in the movie, it was always kind of, it's an iconic scene. It sets up so many things and we're seeing it even today, um, with, with Penfold golf. I mean, they're, they're having this huge resurgence of late and it's based on the fact that Bond was playing Penfold hearts balls in the book. They bring it onto the screen. Here's the brand. Here's the brand. You can own this. This is the, and it was basic back then. Now it's almost a semi-luxury to to own uh, a penfold golf balls. I would buy them, but not use them. I would use them for absolutely for display because I lose so many balls when I play golf. But uh. it's one of those things where the, it comes back as as being like this iconic look. The, the Slazenger the sweater, 
Uh, it's all these kind of like iconic looks. And how many of those Bond fans actually play golf? I mean, I think there's three or four of us that I know will actually go out and play golf. Uh, I know George Lazenby still plays golf regularly, but other than that, like it's, it became a Bond thing because of the book and he detailed it so well. And I enjoyed reading it as a, as a golfer. I enjoyed reading it and I enjoyed seeing it on screen. And I had seen it on screen as a child before I read it in a book, but at the same time, it's incredibly long and also kind of plays on is the novel itself too long. It's, it's one of his longest books. You know, it, and it is interesting. Someone, uh, someone said before, and you do see it, Fleming loves to kind of um, boast, I guess, in a sense, of what, when he knows a topic, to yeah. really go into depth, uh, over details, things of that nature. Uh, you brought up an interesting point, how the mirroring of, we see him exposing him cheating at cards, and then the yeah. next time we see him with Goldfinger is the exposing of the cheating at golf. And I think it really speaks to Goldfinger's greed mm -hmm. that he can't pass up the opportunity, even though he knows Bond has caught him before, he still right. can't pass up the, I have to cheat because I have to win because I'm so greedy. Um, it is a long scene. That said, yeah. I feel it's very well written. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't know a lot about golf, uh, you have to figure probably his amateur reader might not. Um, and that's part of uh, that's part of the appeal to a lot of the details and description in this book. The average person isn't going to be going to Jamaica when these books are written or Japan right. um, or, you know, um, or ski like snow skiing. These are all very expensive sort of luxury uh, items. This is whole part of this lifestyle that Bond leads. And it is escapism for his readers. So I appreciate yeah. that he does put it in for people who don't know. Um, I've never played Baccarat. So I'm sure if people yeah. had played it, they're probably skipping past those pages in Casino Royale with the explanation of how the game works. Um, but it is and it's also you sorry. bring up Baccarat, and that's kind of like the obvious reason why they changed it to poker for Casino Royale, because poker was so accessible for everyone. It was on TV. It was so um, it was so there. I mean, Canasta, I had to, and I did a podcast with Edgar a couple of months ago, um, maybe a little bit more than that now, about Canasta, because I didn't know how to play, and he didn't know how to play, and I don't think the average person understands Canasta now 50, 60 years on. Um, Goldfinger is going to turn 60 next year. Canasta is not a popular game. I mean, we know blackjack, we know uh, poker, and we maybe know Chamey de Fire if you've spent a little bit of time in a casino, which is very close to Baccarat. But all these other kind of social card games have kind of gone, you know, the way of the dinosaur for, for in some cases. But you say it like a, but you say, oh, we know poker. Uh, yeah. Even in Casino Royale, uh, the Craig film, you still yeah. have Mathis there at the side to kind of to explain help it. explain to people yeah. who don't. So so that it is more uh, wide reaching and accessible to everyone. And so I think there's a good deal of that in this golf game. But yeah. for me, one of the things that I love about is the little tete-a-tete -tete he has with Goldfinger, mm. the little lines that they drop, how it's very cat and mouse. They're teasing each other. 
Um, yeah. Who's smarter? Who's going to outwit whom? Um, and uh, and then just the suspense and the build up. Is this going to work? Is he going to catch him? How is he going to sort of? Uh, you know, throw Goldfinger off of his game with these taunts. It, mm. uh, it's thoroughly enjoyable. I've, I've heard people say that they've read it and they start to lose interest here. And I think if you are familiar with golf, a lot of the explanation is going to be just exhausted ad nauseum. You know, I already know this. Um, you know, for I, I go to the driving range. I have never made it off the driving range. And so to actually be able to kind of live this game of golf, it's never bothered me. I always quite liked it. Um, it's, it's a really interesting part of it, but it's also, it's this long explanation of things he does best. And then we go right almost from there to going from England all the way to uh, Switzerland by car, which is another fantastic, fantastic Fleming love is driving he loves driving thrilling cities the second half of thrilling cities is all driving through europe so the whole drive from from london all the way extremely long at the same time but mm-hmm. what do you how, how do you feel about these like long passages because there's that one there's the golf game there's the there's the the driving and then there's the the kind of the hood congress at the end with all the gang members that kind of goes on for for a little too long and i think that also repeats itself in the man with the golden gun these kind of like long drawn out meetings i think we see it as well in i'm trying to think of i think it was in in from russia with love that we get to get these kind of like long drawn out meetings of the of the bad guys all at the same time how do you feel that they, they could they have shortened that could Fleming have maybe cut some stuff and made it a little more compact to move the story along or did you appreciate these kind of long stretches of detail I think absolutely there could have been done there could have been some editing done um however I have heard this is one of the things Fleming is known for is his attention to detail he really yeah. writes a lot of that into his books and you know you hear of people Moonraker is a great example when you talk about the driving scenes and you hear about people who will like actually take these drives because yeah. Fleming is mentioning actual streets he's going on. He turned left here, right here, you know. Um, mm. So you'll hear of people kind of recreating that. Uh, and, and again, I think it's Fleming writing what he knows. Um, in some cases, the length can be used to help build tension and suspense. Um, in some cases, you get to the villain sort of this monologuing where mm. he takes time to explain the entire plot, which needs to be done to help drive the story. Um, but then that becomes like a cliche of of, of yes. Bond that gets repeated and made fun of in further movies and parodies and everything. This is kind of like the cliche, like, well, why would the villain take all this time? But there's no real world comparison like we've never had this megalomaniac rich villain do this to someone that's been reported in the media we always you know get the gist of it we don't get these stories of well he strapped me to a chair and then gave me an hour lecture about how he was gonna kill me and and steal you know the gold of fort knox so this is how and, and this is one of the things that i was saying earlier where i feel the movie has made some improvements on the book and, you know, there, there are some 
there's some of Fleming's books where it's very easy to just dive into the book and not mention the movie. This right. one is difficult because they translated so much of this onto the screen. And um, you're exactly right. The golf game, it's shortened. Uh, yeah. Old Fingers monologue, shortened. The meeting with the mobsters, shortened. Like, you have to do that to keep the movie uh, you know, moving at a healthy pace so that people don't lose interest. You can delve into it in much further detail in the books. And yeah. you know, I think that's one thing a lot of people appreciate um, is you do tend to get uh, a lot more description. And the other thing that I really love as well is in these books, you tend to, you know, you see much heavier in his first five books, but you, this is something that you cannot do on screen is you can't see inside Bond's head. You can't hear yeah. his thoughts. And that's something that these books does so well. Bond debating the, the, at the very early onset of the book when he's having sort of this you know, conflict, this um, morality, uh, talking about the Mexican that he killed and, you know, yeah him being at odds with that that type of stuff you know i think they tried to get in that a little bit more with craig but honestly you see that he's conflicted they can show you that on screen but you never get inside his head to actually read and hear his thoughts how yeah yeah, it never really makes it into the movies that though that kind of like the interior monologue of 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 James Bond and that weakness and the um and a weakness in in a sense that he that he's humanized certain things and he's he doesn't want to go out and killing and the, the morose and the and all these feelings that in the movies is just fantastical bang 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 you know it's Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on on yeah. film but in the book he's more a lot more human um speaking of kiss kiss bang bang uh there's kind of like three almost bond girls and i find that this works the whole pussy galore character works a lot better on film than it does in the book the relationship between bond and pussy doesn't really to me work out super well um in the book as much as it does on screen i think they do a better job what do you how do you feel about you know the use of the the two sisters and and Pussy Galore near the yeah, end. Yeah, and it is, it's interesting as well that you mentioned three. You see this a lot in, and I, and for those who have not read all the previous Flemings, I apologize for keep going back to them, but read them all. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, it's um, your homework. You should have done this already. Yeah, like, <laughs> work the Goldfinger by now. So uh, in Diamonds, his fourth book, you see yeah. a lot of duality. The two mm -hmm. brothers, you have... Yeah kid so it's always pairs it's interesting that you mentioned that there's sort of three bot girls in this as there are the three sections of the book you know right. as well so um so that's that's sort of a trope that fleming will have as far as you know these numbers um oh boy and again his just this is fleming writing a couple things one his prejudices <laughs> towards homosexuality yeah. which you see, you see that I, I mentioned diamonds, you see that in diamonds, you know, uh, you'll, you'll see it once you, once you get through um, some of the future books, you see that in the future books, you know, I believe um, there's a reference too from 
M in a book at one point about um, I don't know if it was in one of the original novels or a continuation novels, but the, the the use of homosexual agents was discouraged because they couldn't be trusted or something uh, like that. And uh, which, homosexual uh, yeah. can't whistle, can they? <laughs> so, just, I mean, you know, again, this is Fleming's, Fleming is writing his. You see this with Fleming's personal moral code. You should be, yeah. you shouldn't be cruel to animals. Um, you shouldn't cheat. You know, um, we've we've discussed the seven deadly sins, Ian Fleming's seven deadly sins. These are he's writing his moral code into this book, into all these books. He's also writing his prejudices into these books. And you see yeah. that here. Um, the entire thing with um pussy. This is Fleming's male fantasy. No yeah. girl, no girl can resist Bond. He can, you know, he can get any woman. You see that in uh, From Russia with Love, uh, where he keeps referencing uh, Greta Garbo and how much she looked like Greta Garbo and she had mm. that face. And I never understood why Fleming kept mentioning Greta Garbo. And again, that's part of me not knowing <laughs> that her work that well or who she was. Right. But uh, someone mentioned to me, oh, well, sh her big thing was, uh, I want to be left alone. And oh, that's want... perfect for Fleming. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. Like, what's yeah. this brought to my attention? Uh, and again, that's me not being as familiar with that era of starlets. Uh, but Fleming being able to, oh, she, she doesn't want any man. She just wants her privacy and wants to be left alone and but you know he can turn you know tatiana and here he can turn pussy she cannot resist his charm yeah. uh so you know it's a lot of male fantasy and uh i i think the one of the sadder things of this is and you see it again in the, in the film and i i hate to keep bringing up the film as we're discussing the book um but it you feel it in the film as well bond's actions caused these two sisters to die you yeah. know and uh had he not mentioned to goldfinger you know that he had caught him at cards and kind of given that away you know uh jill would still you know be around um and that's kind of parallel uh, i know we, we've been making you know a lot of um of comparisons to to the goldfinger the movie but i think it, it goes to Bond movies in general, because M and, I, and we, I'm just coming off of, of doing um, uh, an episode on about Quantum of Solace. M blatantly says it to Bond in Quantum of Solace after Strawberry Fields uh, is found dead. She she mentions the whole like you, you know you you're killing. She she's just an innocent. She she's she had nothing to do with anything. She was just uh, she was just a uh, an employee of the of the uh, of the. I'm trying to find my words here. Of the embassy, she was she was just a worker. She was just there to work, and she ends up tangled in your ear web and dead. Same kind of theme that repeats itself even fifty years on is is still present in Bond movies. Mm -hmm. You have to have these sacrificial lambs to show mm. uh, how brutal some of these villains are. Yeah. Uh, my gosh, I, I'll tell you, you re I really felt it in reading uh, Live and Let Die, like his second book. Yeah. 
you feel it with Felix, you know, yeah. this, is, this really just helps to illustrate Goldfinger is no joke. He might be greedy. He might like gold, but he's willing to take not only not only these girls' lives, but the lives of 60,000 other people. This right. is how, you know, this is how much his greed drives him. And it's 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 uh, interesting you say that because I mean I think they they kind of touched that on he touches on that further with Blofeld and Honor Majesty's Secret Service because that was there was a big plan to kill a lot of people in that one he gets into these ideas of of more mass killings rather than these these big heists or these big political moves uh, uh, regardless of the fact that that Goldfinger is technically an agent of Smirsh and has kind of almost replaced Lashif in the position of, of, you know, fundraiser for, for the cause. And this is kind of the last, one of the last books that we, we actually deal directly with Smirsh, but he's kind of like the farthest removed. I mean, there's no political background to this. It's almost a little bit like live and let, live and let die. He's an agent of Smirsh just because that's what they were doing at the time. And they hadn't mm-hmm. written, you know, Thunderball and, and gotten into the beginnings of Spectre. They needed to replace Smirsh with something else because obviously there, there's no political implication here other than Goldfinger wants more gold. That's his right. whole deal is he wants more gold. The movie says, you want my gold. I'm going to make your gold inaccessible, so you have to come to me. That was kind of a better megalomaniac kind of plot that worked a little better for me. Um, how do you feel overall about uh, Goldfinger and the, the whole... Was it, it, does it still hold well today? I, I mean, after I think he's a great villain. I mean, you know, we we see this. You, I mean, obviously, we we've we've had this conversation before, and uh, for those listeners who are out there who haven't listened to our seven seven deadly sins uh, podcast, they should go back and check it out because hmm. you really see a lot of that in this book. Um, you see it with his previous villains, the cruelty and malice. Uh, we were talking about like these mass genocides and revenge, like with the uh, Drax wanting to take yeah. out so many people and Moonraker, uh, Fleming's third novel. Um, for this one, I feel like his villain is very well fleshed out. Talking right. about sort of this complexion that he has that sort of, you know, emulates the, the greed and the gold. Um, you see a lot of symbolism in this as far as eyes and seeing. And that's something you don't see in a lot of the other Bond books. You see it heavily in this, where Bond is looking at the life leaving the Mexican's eyes and how you you look at the house and the windows uh, look like evil eyes. And this, uh, this comes up again and again and again. And... For those who are familiar with uh, Silence of the Lamb, mm. how do we covet? We covet what we see. We covet with our eyes, you know. Um, and the and same that plays thing, along with greed, too, very well. Because, I mean, you're greedy. You want things. You see it with your eyes. You, you want it. it. And, again, uh, we've discussed Fleming did use, not that it fit his own personal beliefs, but he did use different religions he used the Bible as, you know, um, inspiration for a lot of his writings. You see this in Deuteronomy, uh, you know, with Bathsheba. And as far as, oh, you know, he saw her, uh, David saw her. 
he uh, desired her and then he took her. It's that you see first. The first thing you do is see, then you desire, then you take. And that's just uh, a good example here of how that fits into the entire theme of greed and Goldfinger. Uh, the other thing that I found really interesting as well is the theme that this greed goes hand in hand with death. Uh, you see that especially at Goldfinger's house when uh, Fleming describes the car. He describes Goldfinger's car like a hearse. He describes the house like a morgue. So there's a lot of the death imagery that goes hand in hand with this greed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is probably one of the better books to, to uh, accompany the, the seven deadly sins will even I, I haven't gotten the 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 actual um, I'm trying to remember his name now uh, I still only have the little collection of of essays but I think those those kind of ideas and and, and um, they they go really well with this book because there's a lot of them and you mentioned the eyes whereas the focus of the previous books have a lot been with the mouth whereas uh -huh. Goldfinger is more he really concentrates on the idea of greed. Uh, another book that I want to kind of bring up as a companion that I really found helpful when rereading the book, and I'm going to use it again for, for future books, is um, I'll show it to you on screen, but it's the John Griswold Guide. It is massive. But when we talk about the, the length of the, the golf scene, he maps out the entire course oh, wow. and then maps it out shot by shot. So you want to get nerdy about golf and, and the book. This was amazing to geek out for like five minutes and say, wow. But also to translate some of the ideas, because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the book was written in 57 or 58. And he's mentioning like types of golf clubs that I'm like, well, that what, what, what club is that? Because that's not what we would call it now. And then the, the kind of cultural ways oh. that you would have called the golf club, like the spooner and things like that. It's like, not that. What, I don't have a spooner in my set. I've got like 20 clubs. What the heck is that? So I found there's a lot of companion things that you can kind of, um, I think that's what's great about someone like 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 me and you who, who go to the novel, but then we'll go and search everything in the background and everything that's connected to it and kind of understand exactly how Fleming was. It really opens up your your world to how he saw it. Thrilling Cities is another great companion to any Fleming novel because you understand how Fleming would have traveled and enjoyed travel and then would enjoy a city or discover a city and then put that into a Bond adventure. Because even if Thrilling Cities was kind of written after, all this travel stuff was happening before and his brother was traveling before and his brother was a travel writer. So you get all this. There's, it's just full of, it's full of gold. Gold. <laughs> And I think that's you know, when we were talking about the golf game and about making this accessible to everyone. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the real beauty of this for um, for people, as you said, for people like us who are looking to dig a little bit deeper and mm. really dive into, oh, you know, the symbolism and the little uh, hidden Easter eggs and gems that Fleming was writing into these books. Yeah. There's that opportunity. But for those who are casual readers, it's still just a really fun adventure. Uh, I know I keep using that word fun over and over again, but it is. It's escapism. As you said, you know, getting to visit all of these cities. Um, 
a lot of people will not have had the uh, opportunity to play these golf games or do all these or go snow skiing. You know, when these books mm. were written, all of these things were very expensive. The barrier to entry was pretty high uh, right. back in those days. And, you know, it, it the cost of a paperback novel allowed you sort of this gateway into this world um and that's the real beauty of it is that you know ev it's it's enjoyable for everyone uh and and like i said you know some of these some of these things obviously have not aged well you get that with no. every single author even even today you know you see this in uh mass media they're going oh, to put their political leanings into their reporting. And you see that here as well. You know, Fleming, uh, you know, it can be very, very hard to read. I can't imagine. I don't identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community, but I have to imagine that this would be very difficult to read. Um, you know, yeah. I, I had a discussion with Jocelyn. Uh, about this book. Um, she's uh, on the Instagram account, uh, Ladies Who Bond. Right. And obviously reading about, you know, his prejudices towards, you know, Asian people is very hard <laughs> for her. It, it, um, it comes up often with Jason as well. You know, Jason's Korean. So yes, I mean, the whole yes. treatment of Koreans kind of like comes up a lot. It, just in films too. and But in, in the books, it's like, it's... it's it's a it's a sensitive subject, and I don't have um, I don't have many African American friends who are Bond fans too. I, I can't imagine that reading "Live and Let Die" is just not like cringy the entire time. Because for me, it's it's cringy. I grew up with a lot of a lot of friends uh, who are black, and and I mean, I I read it and I'm like, just the title. If you've got the original novel, right. just the title of I think it's chapter five was yes, it, you know, super inappropriate. I get I get asked that quite a bit being a female in the mm. barn community. Like, oh, Melanie, what do you think about that scene in the barn between Pussy and you know Pussy Glow yeah. Bond? And you know, uh, and, and you know, I think it's just it's one of those things that I never uh, I I can understand where it would upset a lot of people. Me personally, yeah. I'm able to overlook it and say, you know what? If nothing else, this is a sign that times have changed where we're having these discussions and where I'm hearing male fans who are like, well, I love the Connery films, but, you know, these things are uncomfortable for me to watch. And, you know, yeah. it's refreshing to hear that it's, it's great to have these discussions because this is how we grow and move forward and gain a better understanding of people who are different, uh, cultures who are different, and uh, even a better understanding of the opposite sex, you know? So uh, so I'm able to kind of overlook that and just use it as, you know, sort of this springboard for deeper conversations about it. Um, and, and I think that's it, you know, when he was writing these books, it was a very different time. Right. Uh, you know, it, if we're going back and you know reading Shakespeare, you're gonna have a different era of time represented. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and even then, like I mean, the there was there was no female actors who could perform female roles in Shakespeare's time. It had to be male. So I mean, the, that kind of yeah. those those ideals they, they transcend time. <laughs> and you know, and you know, I I uh, same thing with Jane Austen, where it's like you know mm. we're not. All of these arranged marriages um, 
I know that arranged marriages still occur in some cultures, less so yeah. in, you know, obviously you're in Canada and in America, so you don't see it as much of that here. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's like, you know, that was product of the time. You know, I think we can move past that and let's talk about the really good parts, the fun, the, the fun excitement, the action, the suspense. This is a really great read. It's very enjoyable. It transports you there. You live it. Uh, it's exciting. I feel the the characters are all very well written. The three blonde girls that we have, the the henchmen, the villain, the plot mm -hmm. is well thought out. It, it I when we get to the train part, it does excuse the pun get a little bit derailed. <laughs> With the but, yeah. yeah, but I, I agree that that's kind of like it's Fleming. It's definitely Fleming because he loves trains. But yeah, and, and Fleming, you know, uh, this is something my buddy uh, Chris with British Bond Addict, uh, who I've met through the Bond community uh, online, has has said, and just I mean, he kind of bangs his fist. At, Fleming cannot finish a book. <laughs> uh, you get to the end of these books and things wrap up very quickly. Yeah. You have all of these, like you have 80 pages on a golf game and yeah. you finish the end of this evil Three plot pages. like five. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I know that that is, you know, uh, I think Fleming gets to near the end of this and he's just like ready to cash in that paycheck. Yeah. Let's wrap this up now. <laughs> my my think, vacation at Goldeneye is almost done. I better hurry up. <laughs> I think the uh, the other thing you got to remember with Fleming, and I'm going to strangely quote lyrics from, uh, from 80s thrash metal band Slayer. Fleming hates everyone equally. There's He doesn't. He, he hates the British or he has bad things to say about the British, about the Italians, about other Europeans, about every culture and every way of life. He has something negative to say about it, but he appreciates it all, but he'll also put it down at the same time. And I think once you get over that and realize that Fleming is extremely detailed, but very, very picky and um, difficult, I guess you would say smooth sailing everything else is is you just understand that okay he's just grumpy let's keep going the story's great the action is great this is a, a good story and that's that's i'll i'll end my piece on of gold figure on that well and i you know you you hit the nail on the head if you read biographies about fleming you know it, it gives you a better uh glance inside of you know our the author's mind yeah. and what all is sort of behind this um you know i here's a question for you emery yeah would you want to be friends with fleming because me personally <laughs> having read about him in some of these biographies absolutely not he sounds horrible <laughs> oh apparently the food at his house was horrible too so i don't know yeah. <laughs> Yes, you and I discussed. We uh, we yeah. both read that Golden Eye, where Bond was yeah. born. Uh, yes, yeah. It was, again, a really great look inside of what was kind of driving some of his writing. Would I take a weekend at Golden Eye or a week at Golden Eye and have adventures with him and and tolerate him for a week and and kind of, you know, I, th I think the same could be said about other people. There's another fellow that we could say that. Would you want to meet him? But at the same time, knowing all the things kind of going on with him right now, 
would you still want to be like in his vicinity and be friends with him? Probably not, but he's an interesting enough person that you'd want to sit down and at least hear some stories and kind of get to know him or, or at least be in his presence just because he was bond. But at at the same time, like there's some kind of other sketchy stuff that kind of like, okay, I I don't want to be associated with you, but an afternoon with you. Great. I'm going to, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to ask my questions. I'm going to, Get in there. I think the same kind of thing with uh, with Fleming. Yeah, mm. yeah, no, absolutely. One of these uh, hypotheticals: if you could sit down to dinner with anyone, would you want to sit down to dinner with Fleming? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned an entire week at Goldeneye. Who? I feel the price of admission would be a little too high. <laughs> I'm talking about 1950s Goldeneye, not <laughs> 2023. On that, oh. I seem to be getting uh, the traditional text from. Uh, uh, Mr. Blanc, not Benoit Blanc of, you know, Knives Out fame, but Mr. White asking if I've got people everywhere. And uh, we do have people everywhere. We've got, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Anchor. Uh, I'm personally on Instagram at double seven underscore intrepid. Where can we find you? Uh, Melanie and and Burb. I am also on Instagram. Uh, I have a James Bond parody parody with my pet parrot. Yes. Uh, So I like to celebrate the fun aspects of Bond. Pick 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 a little bit at it. Uh, You know, um, it's a good time. Started it during the pandemic. I was on the message boards uh, back as early as the gosh 90s and yeah. uh, during the pandemic okay. I sort of found this instagram world of bond fan friends uh through my account verb dot james verb so it's verb period james verb uh you can find me there i love the little pink gold uh diamonds are forever tied that you wear that's just amazing um, <laughs> amazing makes me laugh every time it just puts a smile every time i see burb it's like oh it's just a smile on my face it's just a, a our little mascot he is such a good sport. I'll tell you, he loves the attention. Um, we've been doing this uh, for the past 20 weeks now. Uh, we've been doing where he's picking out a watch order. You know, yeah. I've watched all of the movies from, you know, uh, from film date to, so from old to new, from backwards, from new to old. Uh, yeah. I've done it by, you know, actors, like in little clumps. Um, I even watched all the films based off of the Order of the Fleming books, which is a fun way to watch the movies oh, yeah. as well. And you know, I was I was saying, yeah, I need I need a new watch order. I'll just pick them out randomly, and then thought Burb should pick them out. Burb for should me. pick them absolutely. And yeah, he loves it now. He he knows right what to do. <laughs> so we've done twenty of them. He goes straight to the jar and grabs one out, and it, it's 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 just, amazing. It's a good, good fun. time. <laughs> it's all a good fun. It's great. I, I love it. Thank you very much for being uh, with us or with me because Edgar, unfortunately, but well, thanks uh, very much for being with us. Uh, thank you for your opinions on, on Goldfinger and uh, take care. Thank you.